off top, the great Benjamin Franklin, you know, the guy on a hundred dollar bill, probably know him for doing lots of really impressive things and writing lots of really impressive books and thoughts and theories and discoveries. But bet you probably didn't know he wrote a book titled Fart Proudly. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, Charlie. Did I did I get you on that one? Is that new? New information? Oh, yeah. Here? Oh, yeah. Google that. And it's exactly what you think. Like, it's it's not or you might think it's uh, like some funny title that means something different. No, it's it's a book about the importance of tooting from your man, Benjamin Franklin. But anyway, hmm, you can still buy it on Amazon. Yeah, I might cop that thing. Read it. But anyway, all right. So if I were to write a book or if you and I together were to write a book, I think it would be the ills of the professionalizing of sports. I don't know. We need a better title, but I feel like everything that we talk about lately is somehow connected to at least the things that we complain about are somehow connected to the professionalization of sports. And I guess not professionalization is the wrong word. Corporatization is the word that we've been using because professional sports have always been professional and college sports have not always been professional, but they've been professional for as long as you and I have been watching and caring about it. And it, it, that had its own problems, but I think the corporatization of it recently has brought up so many other problems. And we've talked about them in other episodes, all the different, um, avenues or areas where it becomes an issue but right now I think it's around college coaches and we're looking at Rick Patino and Ed Cooley so Patino is the new coach at uh new he's 71 so I can't call him new he is the coach at St. John's now he was at Iona before that he was in Greece why do you have to go to Greece you ask uh because he had a lot of scandals surrounding his teams NCAA violations but I think the more prominent ones were his uh sexual uh behaviors with his equipment manager's wife at Louisville that led to him being extorted and eventually led to him leaving his job so nailed the dismount unlike Patino Uh, just in case you guys forgot, my man LJ is here, my 12-year intern, so I guess we need to be careful around these things. But I feel like 12-year-olds these days know a lot more things. Like, I'm never surprised by my 12-year-old daughter, like, what she knows and what she information she has access to. It's like, and then I think back when I was 12, like, I mean, I knew, I knew a lot more than I want to pretend like my kids know at this age, you know, like the music I was listening to, oh, yeah. the jokes me and my friends were saying, the things we were lying to each other about uh, <laughs> doing. But anyway, yeah, we'll bring LJ on later and he can answer all these uncomfortable questions and we'll put it on the Internet and he can tell us how he feels about uh, or what, what information he has access to and what he knows. But anyway, back to Rick Pitino. And um, Ed Cooley. So maybe I shouldn't put Ed Cooley in the same category as Rick Pitino. They're slightly different, but I yeah. think that they're responding to this current situation in a way that I think is concerning. So if you don't know, Ed Cooley is or not concerning, but um, eye opening, I guess. Ed Cooley is the head coach of Georgetown Hoyas right now. He uh, was the coach of Providence for 12 years where he did an outstanding job. Honestly, he's uh, he's from Rhode Island. 
Uh, and he built that program into something. He promised that he would never leave. And they believed it because he was a Providence kid. And he was like, this is where I want to be. But the interesting thing about his story is the team wasn't bad this year. Uh, and it seemed like they kind of fell off a cliff around the same time that he was being tampered with by the Georgetown Hoyas, which is yeah, ignominious Zillow listing of his house weeks ago before this, <laughs> the deal was inked with Georgetown. And they, they fell off a cliff as far as their play is concerned. And there was uh, I saw one of the reports showed that he had signed some real estate documents on March 3rd, which suggests that he had already had, I don't know how long it takes, but it probably takes more than a week or two, maybe even a month to get comfortable with a job that you're going to take, I would say, uh, especially if you've been somewhere for 12 years. So I would guess that he had had his mind made up or was at least entertaining the idea of going to Georgetown well before uh, he signed the document on March 3rd, which was before their season was over. And so he immediately season's over. He goes and he joins Georgetown. Now, Providence is upset. Their fans are upset. The team is upset. The state of Rhode Island is probably upset. And so I guess what it just makes me think of is how college coaches were. And I think it's in part because the he's taking the Georgetown job, which here means something a little different than I think it does nationally because yeah. it's John Thompson and John Thompson uh, senior represented something to Georgetown and represented something to college basketball that we went to Ed Cooley who's yeah. spoken of how much John Thompson means to him and meant to him. Yeah. And it's something that I think a lot of coaches perform, but we don't have anymore in college sports. And it's this like, I'm about, and I, I'm careful to, I, I'm trying to be careful. So call me out if I'm romanticizing a time in the past because we're no longer there, or if I'm inflating who he was or what he did um, because we didn't have access to as much information back then. But it seemed like the stories about John Thompson and the way that we think about John Thompson, I guess it doesn't matter whether this is true or false. It's the perception of John Thompson was a lot closer to how we perceive like the TV version of a high school coach where he's kind of like an extension of your family. He's like your dad away. And he's the guy who's teaching you the importance of competition, but the importance of everything else, like all the way back to the, the stories about him, like, frankly, providing the only place where Allen Iverson could turn his life around him. Uh, standing up to local drug dealers to protect his team. Like these are stories that people tell about Big John and stories that exist and perpetuate this idea that your coach is going to be more than a coach. And he was at Georgetown for, I don't know, I guess he probably coached somewhere before Georgetown. But from the time I was born, I guess they were in the finals in 83, right? That's when Jordan hit that shot against Georgetown. Um, was he the coach? He was the coach then too, right? Oh, so yeah. I was I was born in 83. He was at Georgetown in some capacity until he died. From 1972 to 1999. Whew. Um, that's when he was coaching, but he still yes, stayed yeah. there as uh, he had an office and did some ceremonial roles, but actually probably wasn't ceremonial. He was still making some big decisions, which included getting his son hired. 
Um, and I think like Patrick Ewan got the job in part because he was connected to John Thompson. So like Georgetown's been looking to replace this John Thompson figure and they're never going to do it. And I don't know that it's it's now this is where I feel strongly. It's not because none of the men who are doing this job now are as strong a man as John Thompson or as good a people as John Thompson. But I think this goes to the corporatization of the game and that it's an environment that for you to succeed, you are going to have to be. I'll put it kindly and say a politician. If I'm being more honest, I'll say a liar. Like it's just you just kind of have to accept that they're going to be lying to you. And that's what that's where Ed, Ed Cooley comes into this picture where, like, he told them he was going to be there for life. And maybe you could say that circumstances changes changed in a new opportunity game. Or you could say that he never meant it. He just said it because that was the thing that you're supposed to say. That's what I would probably expect, because right now uh, the the other person in this conversation is Rick Pitino. And we all kind of accept that he's like a fast talking New York liar who's not going to stay at your organization for any longer than uh, a better opportunity pops up. So. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot there. I did not come with uh, some big grandiose thesis at the end, but I think it's also like we have to accept that this is the sport and it's frustrating. I think what makes it more uncomfortable for me is I want to fight against the corporatization of all this stuff because I think it makes it less fun. But I also just wish that for college sake, we could completely lean into it because we still are in a world where the players are not getting paid and we have to act like they aren't employees and act like they aren't um, uh, like they, uh, they don't have lasting uh, physical ailments that are not covered by health insurance because technically they aren't employees. Like all that stuff in football and basketball is real and it makes it harder. It's not something so all the fans are upset at Providence, but the players who went there because they thought they were going to be playing for this guy who said he'd be there forever. Like those players, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to their careers, their lives, their decisions, like all that stuff weighs into it. And yeah, like I said, I don't think I have some big proclamation that makes me feel good about putting this in a neat little bow, but just laying it out on the table that you got politicians like tall politicians who can hoop is really what basketball coaches have, have become. And I don't know that I like it. I'm not, I don't know that I like it. I don't like it. I'm going to go the other way. I love this. I love all of this. The dichotomy of Rick Pitino and Ed Cooley. And uh, got three words for you, Foxworth. Big East, it's four words, is back. Um, and let me tell you why. Okay, so the, the Ed Cooley stuff is 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 really interesting in how it's been perceived. There's a debate online about, as there is always now, how mad Providence fans should be. And... I'm fine with Providence fans being upset because he Ed Cooley was there for 12 years. They made the tournament seven times. They won three tournament games. Georgetown came in and they have won two conference games in the last two years. The program has fallen below what it should be as a looming East Coast blue blood. Um, and they said, we got a little bit more money. We have prestige and we can bring you in and try and win national championships. So guess what, Providence? You get to be DePaul again. You get to go 16 and 16 every year and maybe make a tournament run. And we're going to be your we're going to be your big brother. And he's the first coach ever to leave in conference and go to a rivalry rivals. So that that's sitting there. The thing beyond that is that we got to see Ed Cooley's feelings sort of uh 
marinate and percolate in real time. He's going on local radio hits being like, oh, you know, sometimes change is good, but I want to be here forever. And he's talking to the AD. And we got to see someone who's ostensibly uh, someone a lot cleaner than Rick Pitino struggle with the fact that the business means he's not. And then you got Rick Pitino on the other side, who is his son went to Georgetown and graduated in 2012. He's dying to have that job. He says he's going to coach for 10 more years and he is the best coach in college basketball. And he's like, you know what? Forget about Georgetown. They don't want me. I'm going to go to St. John's, be in New York City. They're going to put my face on the side of the garden and billboards of me in Times Square. And I'm going to make the proclamation that we're not playing in our stadium anymore. St. John's basketball is playing in the garden. You're worried about our best player, Soriano, transferring? Guess what? I'm making him captain day one. Um, and to me, it's like he is so into the snake oil salesman college basketball thing oh, that it's, it's probably going to work because he's still the best coach in the country. And what's interesting to me is like the Big East, when we were kids, it was right there with the ACC. The Big East tournament was, sorry, LJ, bleeping iconic. <laughs> I, did, I bleep myself there. Um, you know, five overtime games, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened with conference realignment is it started being about Xavier and Marquette and it was the big Midwest. Well, now New York City and Washington, D.C. and the rivalry with D.C. and Providence are back. Yeah. And that's like that's bringing the East Coast media back into it. That's yeah. bringing the back into it. And the thing that's sitting behind all of this is we just watched the last uh, emerging blue blood in college basketball be Villanova until Jay Wright left because he was so bored with the lack, competi- lack of competition. Jay Wright built that program by driving down 95, going to Bender Arena for the WCAC championship game and saying, I want that guy. I want that guy. I want that guy. And if you, people might not realize this nationally, but you think of recruiting breeding grounds. This is the best one. <laughs> South Florida for football, yeah. West Texas for football. They aren't close to what DC to Baltimore is that 43 mile an hour mile stretches for basketball. Mm-hmm. You're getting guys who are the third or fourth best player on WCAC teams um, who are impact college players. You're getting the Josh Hart's, the Mikhail Bridges, the Sadiq Bays, um, guys from like the Marcus Guineers from O'Connell who end up at Carolina. And to basically be sitting on that program and have it leave DC is the opportunity for Ed Cooley. It's the opportunity for Rick Pitino. And you you hope that, that that could even bring Jay Wright back to Villanova. Like Kyle Neptune took that job and became it became a 500 team. And so just bringing drama and sleaze and fun back to the Big East, I love it. Corporate, but I love it. Now, I mean, I guess so. I, I'm with you on that point. This is we had a similar conversation a couple of days ago about Dylan Brooks. It's like mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks is largely annoying, but I have to be honest, he's entertaining. Yeah, like, I, I like that he has personality and that like bucks against the corporatization and the uniformity of all the players. So I appreciate that. And I can't disagree with you. The Big East has gotten more interesting. However, I think what bothers me and this wasn't this is more in watching Rick Pitino's press conference than anything or just watching him do any interviews. It's like I just wish we could not we could not lie. But I guess that's the point why I said you're a politician, because we all know that all politicians are lying. But we are not big enough to accept that. Like we we want to be lied to. Rick Pitino without lying is like me breathing underwater. It's not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> but I just I, I guess I wish that we could live in a place where they could be honest about this. They could mm-hmm. because like I think that trickles all the way down. And I guess the only thing 
honestly, it's just that he's annoying. And I'm oh, yeah. probably looking for some way to be upset about this thing that I shouldn't be upset about. But what I end up falling back on often is like, we let them do whatever they want and get all mm -hmm. the money and lie to us. And the players are still like being exploited. And that bothers me and watching um, Ed Cooley move on for $6 million to a year at Georgetown and and like Georgetown benefits from it. Uh, you see how how impactful it is when your team goes on a run in a tournament or has a good year in football. Like it impacts uh, the applications that people send in. It impacts the prestige of the school, especially if you can do it for some extended period of time. And that's a big part of, I think, why Georgetown uh, really uh, it's really important to them because they don't have other sports that people care about. They don't even have a foot. I mean, they have a football team, but they don't play football against other football teams <laughs> like they they play uh i don't know what the word is for it but it's anyway have you ever seen a georgetown football game no Sad, sadly i have oh gosh uh, i'm sorry but anyway the point is they they've used a lot of black players and black coaches to make this largely white institution seem cool and attractive and something people want to be a part of and we're getting to a point where the coaches are not being exploited. They're doing the exploiting, but the players are still being exploited. I guess when they're not winning any conference games in the last couple of years, it's, it's hard to say that they're bringing prestige to the program, but you get my point. And then there's yeah. Patino just patinoing everywhere. It's like, ugh, you can do all this stuff and be all unscrupulous and then show up and try to convince us that you're a trustworthy guy that you've changed at 71. And now all of a sudden I want to send my kid to play for you. But, it probably doesn't matter. He's a good coach, and that's all that really matters. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's uh, um, just one layer removed because that from that because that's the full macro sense of college basketball coaches exploiting the system. But on the Georgetown point, I actually think there's there is sort of a reckoning because like Georgetown's in the phylum of uh, Stanford, Duke, Vanderbilt, UVA. Of like, are we? a minor league sports program or are we gonna keep up the charade of a an elite institution and having any sort of scruples is not gonna work well with trying to become uh basically a top minor league basketball program that feeds off of the bed of talent in the washington dc baltimore area and becomes a minor league system for the nba um so seeing how he handles that uh, that's totally different than the job at Providence, completely different and totally outside of the coaching part of it. And we know Rick Pitino will do that completely fine and excel at that. He'll excel at basically being like, I'm getting you from point A to point B. Yeah. You know, I might be that, uh, untrustworthy guy being like getting my van that says candy spray painted on the side kids, but I'm going to get you there. I'll, I will prepare you like Donovan Mitchell to be ready for the NBA. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's great, by the way. I think he put up a big night the other night in Cleveland. We have to give them some respect, but um, I'm going to bring LJN in a second to tell us who he thinks is going to win the NBA Finals. We'll use that to move us into NBA conversation. But before we do that, um, I just wanted to just kind of close it out with this thought, is that if we're being completely honest about college sports, it is like a like – a, gross output of the evolution of sports is like the minor league system should not be in college. 
Like it just shouldn't be. There's no reason to have schools affiliated with this because that's where it all like falls apart for me is that. And I, I think we're, we're the only country that really does that, that like this, the feeder system for the NFL are colleges. Like that's to me, that seems absurd. And that's where trying to mix those things is where you get into these uncomfortable places where your top state employee or your top paid state employee in all states is your college football and basketball coach. Like that should not be the case. And I don't know the, the proper solution to it is something that you, that we'll never get to, but it's separating them and letting them operate like, aca- like academies in Europe, like the soccer and tennis academies. Yeah, that, that I'm sure there are issues of exploitation in that too, but I think that separating them and it do- they don't have to be, funneling systems to one particular club like they do in Europe, but like the having this connected with colleges is to me feels like the incentives are not um, properly aligned to have either the college behave in the way that it's supposed to behave or the teams behave, and especially the coaches behave in the way they're supposed to be, but they're supposed to behave. But well, it also to be, it's, it's no longer the same incentive for the players either because the, the joy of March madness is in the, regular season college football is the uh the chaos and the intensity and the fact that every game is like life or death for these kids because you lose once in the college football season you're out you lose once the single elimination tournament you're out well now if these games are are having their value diminished and also the incentive structure changes for players when you see seeing out bowl games or not coming back for the NCAA tournament et cetera, et cetera. with that said i love it more sleeves about more sleeves ball coaches come back I need my Thursday and Friday, the second weekend of March, to be elite every single year. So don't listen to us. Yeah, no, I love it too. I I wouldn't want it to change, but I I think I also love my iPhone. And like, I can be honest about all the problems with that. And all, yeah, I don't know. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, on Yeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash df today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash df. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Oh, well, let's transition to a young, bright-eyed kid with more optimism than us. What's happening, LJ? You got fans out there. People was tweeting about how well you did last week, man. Congratulations. Or earlier in the week. Thank you. All right, so now you got to come out with some Stephen A. Smith-level hot takes, which just for the listeners out there, LJ, who is a big sports fan, gets lots of alerts on his phone from ESPN.com. The AAU basketball player plays baseball and soccer right now. Just a real sports junkie. Didn't know who Stephen A. Smith was. So that is important to have out there in the world. Now tell us who you think is going to win the NBA Finals. So I think that the Celtics are going to win the NBA Finals for multiple reasons. Uh, They have a great duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. A uh, great bench, uh, pretty good record right now, and great defense. That's not who I want to win the NBA Finals, but that is who I think. Oh, I like this. Way. I like it. All right, who do you want to win the Finals? I want the Grizzlies to win. <laughs> oh, curveball. All right, so next to – I assume Ja's your favorite player. Next to Ja, who's, um, yep. who's the favorite? Dylan Brooks? You're a Dylan Brooks guy. You look like you like to cause trouble. Yeah, I like Dylan. <laughs> yeah, I like Dylan. All right, Charlie, rip it apart, man. Tell him why he's wrong. This is this is the the debate TV program of my <laughs> internship. <laughs> so you're you're still feeling good about this Celtics team that's fallen off a cliff on offense. Mm, mm. Is a totally different defensive team when Robert Williams is injured. Uh, might coach, need to bench Marcus Smart down the stretch. Jalen Brown is talking about playing for a different team. Any concerns? He said he was going to switch after the end of the season. There you go. Just need need one year. All right, Charlie. So I think the East is interesting. It's getting more. So the East is interesting, and the West has gotten a little bit more interesting, sadly, because we lost Paul George to the Clippers. But um, I think this morning, LJ and I were talking about the, the Cavs, too, which I had to fess up and say that I thought it was a mistake to go after Donovan Mitchell because I didn't think he was going to be like a huge difference maker uh, come. uh, I I just thought the the style of play, like a bad defensive player who's a shoot first guard, who's a little bit undersized, wouldn't pan out for this team. And they look great in the regular season. Big win last night. So is there any chance they come out of the East or is Giannis going to mow through them, which is my belief? LJ, what do you think? Uh, I think they have a chance, but still, I think that Giannis also. So I have, I think Giannis could beat him. Yeah. Right, Bucks. That's um, I you know all year I was with you, LJ. I thought the Celtics were the best team, and I thought it was like pretty clear 
And the Bucks, I'm not sure what their the record is now, but as of a few days ago, it's 25 and two in their last 27. And Giannis is to, to mm-hmm. quote Dominique Foxworth, Giannis Dedicupo is terrifying. That's my pick. Um on, on the Cavs one, I think it's like really interesting that Evan Mobley, um oh my gosh. The, so the Donovan funny. Mitchell part of it is is obviously fascinating. Two scoring guards and Garland and um Garland and Mitchell that can basically score from any spot on the floor in crunch time, even though Mitchell's numbers are up and down, but Mobley basically took like a mini leap after the all-star break and has been so dominant on both ends of the floor, figuring out how to score and pass. And like, we haven't seen it and he's still very slight, but in theory, that's the type of guy you'd want guarding Giannis Dedekumpo. Not any, no one can, but in theory, 6'11", switchable freak. Yeah. Yeah, um, you were talking about their uh, their record. It was it's actually the best I think right now. They are fifty one and twenty, which is the best, right? Yeah, it's the best. I was I mean we didn't bring up Jaron Jackson. We well we'll talk about him when we go back to the West. But yeah, Evan Mobley, he's one of those guys I think that we don't know what his ceiling is just yet. Don't even know the sound of his voice. He hasn't had the full NBA breakthrough. Uh, he's he is incredibly impactful on both sides of the floor. It's probably unfair of me to consider this Donovan Mitchell's team, but we all kind of do consider it, consider mm-hmm. his team, even though he just got there and Evan Mobley, it's probably the more, the more valuable asset or valuable player or more unusual, hard to find more important player for this team, making a championship run. It's going to be on the specialness of Evan Mobley, not Donovan Mitchell. So it's probably focusing on, the guy on the perimeter who's scoring all the points is probably not wise, but yeah, I, I like the Cavs moving into this, but I think I just, I, I Giannis changed my mind when he hyperextended his knee and then went for a 60, the next game. I was like, all right, that's, that, that's my guy until other until proven otherwise, I might have a hard time picking against them, especially when they're healthy. Yeah. I don't think that the Cavs have it because they have to also go against the Celtics and the box. So yeah. And I might feel really dumb writing off the Celtics because of a a, a a mini swoon when they're going to probably be the three seed. But like, yeah. I just, when you sort of get to a point in the NBA playoffs where I feel like you look across the court and you see Giannis there and he's taken the throne of what LeBron was from 2007 to 2020, where it's like, we got to beat that dude seven times. That's impossible. Yeah. With, um yeah, especially with Robert Williams, uh like... I don't know what version of him they're going to get, but I don't think he's going to be healthy throughout the playoffs because he hasn't been healthy since he's been in the league. So you're not going to beat anybody if you don't have the anchor of your defense. Uh, or you're not going to go deep if you don't have the anchor of your defense there. All right, let's go to the West real quick before um, we we wrap up. Um, Jaron Jackson, I left him off. He should be up there. He's going to be defensive player of the year, right, Charlie? You think that's probably... Him, him or Brooke Lopez now. See, yeah. They seem to be like together in the odds. Yeah, Brooke Lopez, fantastic rim defender. But I don't know. I feel like Jaron has a little bit more versatility. But is he He was leading the league in blocks at one point. Um, I, I don't know if he still is, but I, it's irrelevant. I think the one thing we – last week I really wanted to talk about the Clippers because I was watching the Clippers and I was really starting to believe in them despite the fact that um, LJ was pointing out to me that they they their offense is kind of stagnant, which I agree with. It's But it doesn't matter if it's stagnant when you got – uh, a healthy Kawhi Leonard and you have uh, a healthy Paul George. Like you can have a stagnant offense because the ISO play for them and their decision-making is outstanding. And then of course the defense with two potentially elite level wing defenders, 
they're going to be tough. But Paul George had an ugly hyperextension of his knee last night, and the season is over. I guess rather than talking about the West, because we've done that before, I'd actually like to talk more about the trade. Like, they went all in on Kawhi and Paul George. Steve Ballmer was building a whole arena. They're going to take L.A. from the Lakers. With this injury, Charlie, it's, it's gone, man. This is the most cursed shit I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Uh, like, I mean, we, the last time we saw the Clippers in the postseason, Kawhi Leonard was duking it out with Kevin Durant in 2021 as the two best players in the NBA before, you know, Giannis exploded down the stretch. But he, he blew out his knee. He missed last season. And we aren't, I think because Kawhi has played so infrequently, we've sort of forgotten the fact that basically since January, he's been as good as anyone and he's playing real minutes and he's shooting like he did in 2017 with the Spurs. Like we've gotten 40 plus percent from three Kawhi Leonard and we know when it matters just because it looks different. He can guard anyone. Um, But they gave up more for Paul George, I think in a worse trade than Anything ever like a, the AD trade catches all the flack because we thought the Pelicans were going to be in the Weminyama sweepstakes. Uh, we were calling him a Disney in street clothes. The Clippers are giving up their picks to Oklahoma City in 2024 and 2026. There's a chance that Kawhi and Paul George are decrepit, non impact players when that second pick comes around. They haven't done much. Um, LJ, pull your um screen down a little bit so we can get your whole face in there. And there you go, appreciate it. And um, what do you think about the Clippers? Is that a team that you care about? Me? Uh, I, I mean, mean, Kawhi strikes me as someone with uh, very little personality. I mean, strikes me as like he's he is not an outspoken guy and me. he has a new balance deal, which is like it ain't Nike. Let's just say that. So I, I guess just from your perspective, it feels like Kawhi is an incredible, impactful player, but he's not someone who I would say moves the needle necessarily nationally as far as people caring about. So I guess I just wanted to get your perspective on that Clippers team and Kawhi Leonard specific. Um, I don't think like as if as like them making the NBA final. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I don't think that. I mean, they have a chance, but it's going to probably be hard because in this division, you have the Grizzlies, uh, the Nuggets, Suns, um, all contesters that you would need to, you know, go through to win and i think it's going to be hard for them to do it without paul george who you got coming out the west um i don't know i gotta think about that but all right i'll give you mine you have to have an opinion like i mean what are we doing here you gotta first place is the nuggets in the west but like i don't think that they can do it so i'll just say the grizzlies all right that's what you want you go with your heart i like it i'm with you Charlie, uh, final determination. You want to go head head or heart? Head first. Both. Head first, assuming Durant gets healthy. I mean, I, I actually think we've just sort of overthought the West and how wide open it is. I think Phoenix might just roll everyone if Durant's healthy. Like, they should be unstoppable. In a world where he's not, and LeBron is, I got the Lakers winning the West, baby. No. <laughs> no, not that. bananas. No, that, I mean... I can't actually blaspheme that hard in the in the vein of Stephen A. Smith. Now, I think uh, I do think they can win a first round series, but I would I would genuinely be pretty surprised if if Phoenix doesn't come out of the West. Yeah, I mean, I I you know my heart is with Phoenix because I hate how you guys treat Kevin Durant, another guy who came out. I of hate his, how you treat Kevin Durant. So unfair. Another guy. 
another guy who came out of this area who for some reason didn't want to go to Maryland and went all the way to Texas. But uh, I, I think my heart would be with them, but it's impossible to have like a, a head pick in the West. Like none of this stuff makes sense. None of it seems right. Uh, the Warriors aren't good and Wiggins ain't back. I, I guess the Nuggets. I don't know. No, I mean, I kind of I mean, the Nuggets are playing terribly. They're they They have the like, yeah, they're like the the Celtics. Honestly, like slightly worse. Dipping. And yeah, I mean, I don't take can't take the Kings seriously yet. I'm sorry, light the beam. It's awesome, but are they going to outscore everyone when it matters and the pace slows down? Um, and Memphis, we'll see. I mean, they've lost so much of their identity without Stephen Adams and Jaron Jackson. And we talked about we talked about Dylan Brooks. Him shooting more isn't a good thing. I'm sorry, Dylan Brooks. Isn't he the one that somebody came up to in the airport a couple of years ago and told him he shoot too much? Do you remember mm-hmm. that story? It was after season over. That was him, right? I'm pretty sure. I think it was. It was. It's either him or Bane, but I assume it was Dylan. It Brooks. was Dylan Brooks. All right. Well, I probably shoot too much on this show, but whatever. My name's on it, so I can appreciate you, Charlie. Appreciate you, Idy. Appreciate you, Sarah. Appreciate you, Christina. Thank you guys for making another great show, and also. Thank you and goodbye to our great intern, LJ Phillips. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.